This is 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, just like that, the first month of the summer movie season is already gone. What does that mean, Jeff Braun? It means it's time for the June movie preview. So they're aliens. No, that's stupid. They're turtles. Is there anything else we should know about them? They're ninjas. That's right, the Ninja Turtles are back. Halloween parade, bro. It's like the one night of the year where we fit in. Get back here. What part of moving the shadows don't you understand? It is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, the sequel to the franchise reboot from a couple of years ago, which made a surprising $191.2 million domestically, nearly $500 million worldwide. I say surprising because most said it would do okay, but not great. This new one deals with an alien invasion, for one, and the return of an old foe. Since I shot her, this one I was building on me. This is gonna be good! <laughs> you're a rhinoceros! And you're a... Huh. I'm a little piggy. The little piggy and rhino characters are Bebop and Rocksteady, two thugs who are mutated into a warthog man and a rhino man. Megan Fox is back as April O'Neil, and we are introduced to another familiar character, a masked vigilante who uses sports equipment to beat people up. Whoa, whoa. Hey, fellas! What's your name? Casey Jones. Hey. Are you two guys like a thing? Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! Go! Casey Jones is played by Stephen Amell from Arrow, so he's no stranger to playing a masked vigilante. The first Ninja Turtles got mostly bad reviews, although I didn't really mind it. Thought it was fun, actually. This new one is also getting bad reviews. If the purple ooze can turn humans into animals, it could turn us into humans. And we don't have to be stuck down here forever. If there's a chance that it make us humans, we're turtles. Whether you like it or not. Gear up, guys. However bad it is, it just can't be worse than the 1991 film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Here's more of that glorious music. What was that? <laughs> That was Peter Griffin. That's awesome. In the Ipecac episode of Family Guy. Also new this weekend and getting better reviews, Andy Samberg is a pop star. Okay, where to start? Ever since I was born, I loved music. As soon as I could, I started a band. Right away, we knew he was something special. Immediately, I said, man, this guy right here, he's going to make it big. Samberg and his friends in the Lonely Island came up with Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, a mockumentary type movie about the life of a dimwitted pop star. Specifically, Samberg plays Connor For Real, a former member of a boy band who's trying to keep his celebrity alive in the face of a bombing album. Connor currently has 32 people on his personal payroll. Sure, Connor surrounds himself with people who are agreeable. Bar none, I 
were like McCartney and Kanye. And yeah, I was, yeah. All my woodwork, it's kind of my passion. This one's a mask, still me. I'd love to get Connor to the point where he's just kind of everywhere, like oxygen or gravity or clinical depression. He's just everywhere. Imogen Poots plays the love interest. The rest of the cast is mostly comedians like Sarah Silverman, Maya Rudolph, Bill Hader, Will Forte, and Joan Cusack. There'll be a lot of celebrity cameos, too, since it's about being a famous celebrity. It actually looks pretty funny. You know, it takes a village to make me look dope. Also new this weekend, a movie called Me Before You. We've tried the chicken factory. I'm still having nightmares about those giblets. We've tried beautician. It turns out hot wax is not my friend. I'm running out of options for you here, Louisa. Please, I'll take anything. And this is new care and companionship for a disabled man. Khaleesi from Game of Thrones and Finnick from The Hunger Games star in this romantic comedy. Amelia Clark plays a flighty woman looking for a job. Somehow unqualified, she ends up taking care of a recently paralyzed man played by Sam Claflin. Do you have any experience of caregiving? Um, I've never done it, but I'm sure I could learn. Then that's going to be Will. Will, this is Louisa Clark. Nathan will talk you through Will's routines and equipment. You don't have to talk across me, Mother. My brain isn't paralyzed. Yet. So it starts awkward, but they end up growing on each other. Good morning. Oh, he hates me. Every time I speak, he looks at me like I'm stupid. To be fair, you are pretty stupid. Yeah, but he doesn't know that yet. <laughs> Interesting choice of footwear. What do you mean by that? That can't be from around here. Why not? This is the kind of place people come to when they got tired of actually living. I'm happy here. Yeah, well, you shouldn't be. You only get one life. It's actually your duty to live it as fully as possible. No, stay. Tell me something good. And of course, eventually they fall in love. Can I take you somewhere? <laughs> you are so going on a date with Will Trainer. It's too baby. Get the red dress out. We keep this I don't want to go in yet. I just want to be a man who's been to a concert with a girl in a red dress. A few minutes more. It's based on a best-selling book, which is apparently quite the tearjerker, despite all the bubbly talk in the trailer. And if you I don't want you to miss all the things that someone else could give you. Know something, Clark. You are pretty much the only thing that makes me want to get up in the morning. Wait for me to come home. More of the Couch Potatoes June movie preview next. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. We're doing our June movie preview, and we open the preview with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, which was a sequel. Here is another sequel. Remember Now You See Me from 2013, that movie about magicians? FBI! Hands where I can see them. I don't think I heard you correctly. Did you say magicians robbed the bank? You are going to be played. You have what we in the business like to call nothing up your sleeve. Because if you did, it means that you and the FBI and your friends at Interpol actually believe in magic. Well, that movie about stage magicians was a surprise hit, earning $117 million domestic, $351 million worldwide. Didn't get the best reviews, but it had whiz-bang visual effects and was an amusing caper. Now comes the sequel. Let the momentum of the car do the work for you. It's all in the wrist. Not bad. Now you want to see a thing of beauty? Bingo, bango, bongo. 
That's good. It's good to be positive despite making zero progress in a year. Woody Harrelson's not really good at throwing playing cards. The film reunites the four horsemen magicians, Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, Dave Franco, and new to the cast, Lizzie Kaplan, replacing Isla Fisher. Mark Ruffalo is back, Michael Caine is back, along with Morgan Freeman, who is not happy with how that first movie turned out. Are you listening, horsemen? You will get what's coming to you. Thank you, everybody! In ways you can't expect. Hey, it's great to be back. Now the greatest magicians in the world are my magic trick. The first movie was silly, but inventive, stylish, and lots of fun. The second movie also looks silly, still stylish, and fun, but it might be hard to call this inventive, since that first one caught us by such surprise. We jumped off a rooftop in New York. Where the hell are we? We landed in China. How, how is this possible? This is simply my move. Next one is yours. Also, this is kind of neat. When it comes to magic, who's more magic these days than Harry Potter? Well, he's in it. At least the actor who played him is in it, Daniel Radcliffe. So happy to be working with you. (laughs) Ta-da! Here's another sequel to a movie from 2013. Hey, Jeff, remember The Conjuring? Standing behind you. Look what she made me do. (laughs) No! That's not nice at all. Recently, this trailer for what you're about to talk about played at when I went to see Civil War with a buddy, and we were both very upset. (laughs) We paid for superheroes, we didn't want to get scared. Half to death during the previews. There should should be rules about that sort of thing. (laughs) The Conjuring was a scary movie that had a sequel ordered before it even opened. It was getting such good reviews, the studio called for another movie and a prequel of sorts called Annabelle, which actually was terrible. This is The Conjuring 2. This is my home. Get out now. No, this is not your house. Now, what's your name? My name is Bill Wilkins. And I'm 72 years old. What do you make of that voice? Sounds confused. Is he senile? The voice on this tape is coming from an 11-year-old girl. Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are back as world-renowned paranormal investigators Lorraine and Ed Warren, whose work inspired movies like The Amityville Horror and The Haunting in Connecticut. In The Conjuring 2, they travel to London to help a single mom with four kids whose house appears to be haunted by evil spirits. They're calling it England's Amityville. There is a family that desperately needs our help. After everything we've seen, there isn't much that rattles either of us anymore. But this one, this one still haunts me. Does it feel like the voice is coming from inside you? More like it's coming from behind me. Like I'm being used. Janet, are you alright? Stop calling me Janet. 
I loved the first Conjuring. It was scary without relying on CG, which was refreshing. There was one scene I can think of that used CG and it was poorly used. The rest of the movie relied on suspense and good old-fashioned scares and it worked so well. Had an 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Made $318 million worldwide, which is a rare feat for a horror film to be both a critical and commercial success. The sequel looks just as scary. Hopefully it's just as good. <laughs> Something inhuman wants to kill you. If we keep doing this... You're going to die. You okay, Jeff? I'll live. I just I'm pretending like I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> this must be this is probably your, your your least favorite part about doing these movie previews. The Having whole... to sit through the horror movie business. <laughs> yes, it is. Every month. Uh, okay, up next we're gonna talk. We're gonna continue the movie preview in a moment. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes doing our June movie preview. We're on to June 10th, and here's another one on June 10th. Not a sequel, but an adaptation of something popular. It is Warcraft. Yes, that Warcraft. The world of Warcraft. It's a movie based on the immensely popular series of video games known as MMORPG, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. It's a fantasy game where you can go online and play with lots of people, and it is responsible for one of the greatest moments in the short history of the internet so far. Uh, I think it's a pretty good plan. We should be able to pull it off this time. Uh, what do you think, Abdul? Can you give me a number crunch real quick? Uh, yeah, give me a sec. I'm coming up with 32.33, uh, repeating of course, percentage of survival. Oh, that's a lot better than we usually do. Uh, All right, thumbs up. Ready, guys? Let's or? do this. Leroy Dragons! Oh my god, he just ran in. Here's the problem. This is a film that has all the ingredients for a big flop. One, it's been in development for years. I remember talking about this on the Couch Potatoes in 2006, 10 years ago. The panel, number two, the panel it had at Comic-Con last year was reportedly confusing as opposed to exciting. Number three, based on a video game, those movies rarely work. Four, it looks super geeky, which is fine if you're into that stuff. I'm into it. But is it too geeky for mainstream in a busy summer schedule? If we do not unite, our world will perish. This doesn't need to happen. There is one who may help us. For orcs, there is no other life but war. No, but with the human's help, there could be. Why are you here? To save our people. You side with the humans. Against your own kind. This is suicide. 
Should point out that Travis Fimmel is the human hero. He's from the TV show Vikings. He plays Ragnar Lothbrok. Oh, and here's one more ingredient for a big flop. It's already getting more bad reviews than good. chicken. Couch Potatoes June movie preview continues next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're doing our June movie preview and on the 17th, there's a big one from Pixar. Don't cry, Mommy. Don't cry. (gasps) Dory. Finding Dory is the sequel to the terrific Pixar movie Finding Nemo, definitely in my top three when it comes to Pixar. That stupid Nemo made me cry. I've only seen it once, again because of the crying, and I barely remember it, but I do remember liking it an awful lot. Anyways, this one is all about Dory, the blue tang fish voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, who is a sleepwalking, well, sleep-swimming problem. Dad, Dory sleep-swimming. She's talking in her sleep. Dory says a lot of things in her sleep, okay? Hand me the ratchet wrench so I can fix it. But Dad, what if she starts sleep-swimming again? I'm sure this was a one-time thing. So can we just all go back to... Dory? Dory! Dory! She took off again. Now they have to find her. Dory also has memory problems. I guess that was in the first one? Yes. I, I can't remember. But hey, neither can she. <gasps> I remembered something. That's not possible. Is it? Okay. Is it like a picture in your head? And then you think I've seen this before? I just used the word before, which means I, I'm remembering something. What was I talking about? Albert Brooks, Vicki Lewis, and Willem Dafoe are all back from Nemo. Nemo himself is voiced by someone new, some no-name kid. New to this movie are Idris Elba and Dominic West, that's Stringer Bell and McNulty from The Wire, Ed O'Neill and Ty Burrell, Jay and Phil from Modern Family, as well as Diane Keaton and Eugene Levy. Finding Dory swimming into theaters June 17th. Somewhere. Hi, family! They're out there somewhere. Have to find them. Something important? What? Something about a clam or... No. No, an oyster? No. Mollusk? No. Something? No. I don't know. No clam. Also on the 17th, The Rock and Kevin Hart team up in the comedy Central Intelligence. My man! You better back up, man! Whoa, Calvin. It's me, Bob. Sorry, do I know you? Robbie... From high school. God, man, look at you. You've lost like 200 pounds. What did you do? I just did one thing. I need to know. I worked out six hours a day, every day, for the last 20 years straight. They play old high school acquaintances. Hart was the cool, popular kid in school, and he saved the big dork The Rock from being humiliated in front of everyone. Now, Hart is a mild-mannered accountant, which I'm pretty sure is the same guy he plays in all the movies. The Rock, of course, is something a little tougher. You should know one thing about me. I'm in the CIA. Are you joking with me right now? Nope, not joking. I got a plan. Might get us both killed, but if it works, it'll be a totally boss story. Cool? No. No, it's not cool. Cool. No, I said it's not cool. 
So The Rock needs the only person that was ever nice to him to help him crack his case, despite Hart's insistence that he wants no part in the dangerous assignment. Three weeks ago, an enemy of the state stole the encryption keys to the entire U.S. spy satellite program. I need your super sweet accounting skills to help me figure out the last piece of this puzzle. You're like a chocolate Google. Boop, boop, okay, boop, boop. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. You were the coolest guy in school. You're my only friend, Calvin. You're the only one in this whole world that I trust. Central Intelligence looks pretty fun. The Rock plays a dumber guy than he usually does, which is nice to see. And the two of them seem to have pretty great com comedy chemistry. I may actually get my hopes up about this one. Which car are we taking? Not that one. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh! You chose to be an international CIA spy. Because I don't like bullies. You were like Jason Bourne and George. Remember those backflips you used to do? Let's do the flip. Oh. That was so close. Let's move on to June 24th with yet another sequel for the month of June, and it's rather hard to forget this one. Ah, uh, it's like in chess. First, you strategically position your pieces, then when the timing's right, you strike. They're positioning themselves all over the world approximately six hours. The signal's going to disappear, and the countdown's going to be over. And then what? From 1996, Independence Day, one of the most memorable blockbusters of the last 20 years, and here comes the sequel, 20 years in the making, Independence Day Resurgence. We found something out here. Something only you might understand. Oh my god. Goldblum is reprising his role of super genius cable guy David Levinson, although now he's not a cable guy anymore. He's the Earth Space Defense Director. I spent 20 years trying to get us ready for this. We used their technology to strengthen our planet. But it won't be enough. In my dreams. They're coming back. So in 1996, that first Independence Day film had massive special effects and helped to trigger an era of event movies. In this new one, the planet has put aside its petty differences and has united. They have fortified the planet, set up a base on the moon in the hopes that if the aliens ever come back, they would be ready. And actually, if you want to know about the history they've set up for the last 20 years, after the first trailer on YouTube, Jeff Goldblum has this message for you. In honor of our recent history, we invite you to reflect on all we lost and how far we've come by visiting warof1996.com. I've been to that site. It's actually really cool. And they also explain there what happens to Will Smith's character, Captain Stephen Hillier. Smith didn't want to come back for this, so they killed him off. He blew up in a test of one of their new military alien hybrid tech jets. Bill Pullman is back. Vivica A. Fox is back. Liam Hemsworth also stars in Independence Day Resurgence, which again opens June 24th.
last one. Also on the 24th, Matthew McConaughey goes to the Civil War in Free State of Jones. Keep it fast and stay close to me. The war footage in the trailer actually looks pretty brutal, which makes sense because it's not long before McConaughey decides he's had enough of war. He died with honor. No, Will. He just died. I'm tired of it. You, me, all of us. We're all out there dying so they can stay rich. In fact, he gets so bent out of shape, he starts to see if maybe anyone else might join him in opting out of the war altogether. Collectors coming around here, taking everything. We'll have nothing for the winner. Girls, you know how to shoot one of these? It's quite normal you got there. Last time I checked, the gun don't care who's pulling the trigger. So McConaughey forms a band of people who decide to form their own society, even if it means being hunted by the man. No man ought to tell another man what he's got to live for or what he's got to die for. I don't have the patience of five or six deserters hiding out in a swamp. You ready? Just hang them. I don't recognize any other of the other names in the cast except for Carrie Russell. It looks like a cool movie, but a big Civil War epic coming out in the summer doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. Usually, if this type of movie were any good, it'd be put out closer to Christmas and awards season. This fight's for our children and their children's children. From this day forward, we declare the land north of Pascagoula Swamp to be a free state of Jones. They're poor farmers, deserters, who, frankly, sir, don't have much to lose. There's plenty left to fight for. And finally, wrapping up June on Wednesday the 29th, Blake Lively plays a surfer having a bad day in the shallows. Hey, sis. Hey! I just want to let you know I made it here. Mom was right. It took forever to find, but it's perfect. Not for long, though. She gets bit by a shark just off a remote tropical beach. She does manage to swim to safety to a big rock jutting out of the water a couple hundred yards from shore. But the shark won't leave, and help isn't coming. She could die of her wound on that rock, or try to get to shore without being further eaten. She chooses to get busy living over get busy dying. I'm not dying here. 30, 40 yards. It takes him 32 seconds. And then she fights the shark and stuff. It looks pretty terrifying, actually. Outside of Jaws, though, shark movies don't really have a great track record. Uh, that's the Couch Potatoes June movie preview. Up next, Jeff's got a review of X-Men Apocalypse. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And this week, I saw X-Men Apocalypse. Doesn't it ever wake you up in the middle of the night? A feeling that someday they'll come for you and your children. I feel a great swirl of pity for the poor soul that comes to my school looking for trouble. Oh, 
X-Men Apocalypse is the ninth movie in the X-Men series, the last coming just a couple of months ago with Deadpool. And if I were ranking them all, which would take too long, I'd put this one in the middle of the pack. It's also in the middle of the young X-Men movies, the one starring Jennifer Lawrence, James McAvoy, and Michael Fassbender. Uh, it's better than 2014's Days of Future Past. Not as good as the first time we saw that crew in 2011's First Class. I was put off by Days of Future Past, Brett. I didn't get my hopes up at all for this. So it was better than I was expecting. The basic story is pretty silly. An ancient Egyptian mutant warlord named Apocalypse has a history of sucking the life out of people and making himself stronger in the process. We see him do it to Oscar Isaac, whose body he then inhabits. But right when he finishes doing that... The pyramid he's in in ancient times just collapses. That was a few thousand years ago. Then we cut to the present day, which in this movie is 1983. Apocalypse gets freed from the rubble and decides he needs to rule the world. He recruits some bad mutants to his side, namely Young Storm, no Halle Berry this time, Angel and Psylocke. Now, wasn't Angel a teenager in The Last Stand? Because he's a teenager here, but it's in 1983 and he's played by a different actor. So I'm not sure if we're just supposed to pretend The Last Stand never happened, or if it's two different characters with the same name, or was it whatever happened in Days of Future Past set in the 70s changed the timeline for everything that happened afterwards, thus negating the first three movies? That's what happened, right? I think so. Yeah, Angel was in The Last Stand. I think we're they're ignoring that. Okay, I was confused by it all. It doesn't really matter. Just go with what they show you. Psylocke, meantime, played by Olivia Munn, who was one of the bright spots on the newsroom and is utterly wasted here. She's funny, and they don't let her be funny. She honestly has like three lines in the whole movie, spends 90% of her screen time just standing there. So that irritated me. Meantime, over in Good Guy Land, James McAvoy's Professor X, he's got a school, of course, and there are a couple of new students, Jean Grey and Scott Summers, a.k.a. Phoenix and Cyclops. They were in the first couple of movies, played by Famke Jensen and James Marsden. Here they're played by Sophie Turner, you may know her as Sansa Stark from Game of Thrones, and some guy named Ty Sheridan. And they're boring, like more boring than you would expect, even going in thinking they'll be boring. It was bizarre. As always, the highlight of the movies are Jennifer Lawrence, James McAvoy, and mostly Michael Fassbender. He plays Magneto, and he gets a good side story in this that you will wish will be would, would have been the whole movie. Fassbender sells it on a level that almost no one else in this movie is working on. The other big highlight, of course, is the return of Quicksilver. He gets his big showcase scene here, like he did in the last one, where everything goes into super slow motion for us, and then he runs around saving the day in hilarious fashion. So, circumstances, circumstances, the good guy X-Men fight Apocalypse and his bad guy X-Men with his four horsemen, which now includes Magneto. The story is pretty dull. The movie starts very slowly, but to its credit, it gets much better as it goes along and builds nicely until it gets to a pretty decent climax. Apocalypse, overall, a bit of a dud as a villain. He's got the same problem that a lot of these very powerful X-Men have, Brett, where all his powers are in his mind. So when he, like, launches into action, it's just him standing there looking intense or closing his eyes. So, I don't know, and it's just not that interesting to watch. And there's some mass destruction stuff that goes along too, but it all felt sort of very much been there, done that. Ultimately, though, I thought the movie was kind of saved by some good performances, uh, the humor that it did have, the music cues, which are fantastic. I loved it when that Metallica song came on, and it's time period appropriate too, because that song came out in 1983 when the movie is set. 
But after nine movies, it's still a comforting kind of world to revisit every couple of years. It's just nothing that special. I give X-Men Apocalypse three couch cushions out of five. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. We are The Couch Potatoes. Just want to quickly tell you that Zootopia comes to Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday. Also from the Coen Brothers, Hail Caesar. There's an extended edition of The Martian coming to Blu-ray, along with the director's cut of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Vinyl the Complete First Season is out, and 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. This is 680 CJOB.